just get you going there. We have been looking at, uh, there's always a method to my madness. If you need a today's, Joel's has got them there. But uh, there's always a method to my madness uh, in teaching. Somebody, I usually sit uh, two times a year and kind of plan out six months of a general where I'd like to go and take you with me. And uh, what I've been studying and looking at and then with the always, you know, the old thing is that the battle plan is laid until the first fire, shot's fired, and then the battle plan's out, and that's what's happened. So several months ago, we began looking at the issue of Satan's church and that issue of the vain religious system, and we looked at it in Scripture and identified it out for you and, and looked at it, and then we moved to God's answer to Satan's church, that issue in Philippians 4 where he left heaven's glory and came and walked among men and died and, and so forth. And in that series, I'm, we, I taught about Christ, when he died, he didn't go to hell, torment side, to pay for sins. He did it on the cross in those three hours of darkness. Well, that prompted, okay, Rick, well, I got a few emails from folks. Hey, what is this thing about hell? What are you talking about, paradise and torment side? So then we spent, what, six weeks, five weeks looking at eternal judgment in hell in the lake of fire. And we looked at it time past, but now ages to come and so forth. Because I really was after what we're going to look today, and that is the strategies of the adversary. Satan has strategies against you as a believer. Uh, the world, he doesn't have to worry about. The lost world, he's not concerned with. He's already got them. They're already walking as children of disobedience, they're already walking in the course of this world. He doesn't have to worry about that. But he does, you and I. So he's got, he has strategies. He's, he's, a tactic, he's, a, he's got tactics. He's got wiles. He's got tricks. And what I want to do with you over the next five, six, eight, nine months, no, I'm just kidding, a couple weeks here, is just look at those tactics. Because when you understand how the adversary works to come against you. The great question is always, can a believer be demon-possessed? The answer is no. You know how you know? Look at Ephesians 1. Look at Ephesians 1, and look at verse number 13. Ephesians 1, 13. In whom ye also trusted, talking about Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. The moment you trusted Christ, what does the Father do to you? He does a whole bunch of stuff, okay? But what does he do? He seals you. The moment he seals you, he owns you. Sealing, the, the issue of a, of a sealed in Scripture carries the issue of really several different ideas. One is a finished transaction. We sealed the deal. But then it's really ownership and identity that happens. So if he seals you with the Holy Spirit and then a demon comes over here and tries to get in, then that demon is no longer a demon. Why? Because they're in the Spirit. They're in, they're in Christ. They're, they're, that, that's, an, uh, that's something that just will never happen. But a believer can become demon-obsessed different because now now what happens you get obsessed about it and what does he do he pulls you away from where you should be thinking you with that so when we we need to understand that because when things in life come again life comes at us 
at a rocket speed nowadays, and it never, is, it never gives you a reprieve. Linda and I, we went up to the reservation, and uh, the Navajo reservation, just take a couple days, get away. And honestly, we're sitting down in, the, in, in Canyon du Chez on this Jeep tour, and we're sitting there, we're eating lunch, and it's me and Linda and another gentleman and then the, the Jeep driver, the guide. No kids, no cell phones, absolute quiet. It was, it's startling how quiet, when we go hunting and we sit up in the tree, just how quiet it is. Last time we were hunting, I was sitting there, and uh, me sitting in the tree is no phone. I'm just there to sit in the tree for the silence. If somebody walks by or something walks by and I'm lucky, then great, but I'm not there. I'm just there to enjoy. And all of a sudden, I hear this, and I'm like, oh, what in the world? And I look up, you know those big black birds, the pain in the necks? One just going right by me, just eye level. I'm like, that was cool. Boom, you know. And the next thing you know, there's three more go by. And, you know, and you just, but complete quiet. Well, when the adversary gets going, you need to have the ability to get to some quiet, some peace in the moment, in your thinking. And you do that by understanding how he operates and what he's doing. And then when we get done looking at all that, then we'll see how God has equipped you to handle that. Okay? We were singing that song about uh, the anchor holds. And fasten it to the rock and getting in the, time, in the midst of the turmoil isn't when you need to be putting on the doctrine. You put on the doctrine in the quiet time and the peaceful seas. Because when the turmoil gets going and the boat gets to rocking, you, you know, sometimes it's hard to get, you, you want to go down and be able to access it. I was watching one of these Deadliest Catch shows and it confirmed what I had heard growing up as a young man at the church there in Chicago and about guys being in the merchant marines. And they would go out and resupply the World War II ships and do. And they would go out and hope for calm seas. Because what took eight hours to do in calm seas and rough water took a day and a half. Because it's up and down and they can't do this and they're matching. And you know what the thing is, is when you're in the calm seas, that's when you want to put on the doctrine. Bring it in. Store it in the in the inner man, get it down deep, because in the turmoil, then you can go down there and pull and access it and look at it. And, and that comes from understanding. It comes from wisdom and understanding, knowledge. It doesn't come from emotion. Now, your emotion can work off of those, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with emotion. But have it come from a place of understanding. So when you begin to think about who we are in Christ, you, you, are you still in Ephesians 1? We're, we're off the, the list there. Somebody asked me if that was all the, number, all the passages. I said, don't get cocky thinking it's going to be short. You know, If you look there in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Where? In Christ. He's blessed us with all. He's forgiven us. We're, we're accepted. If, if you just let your eye run down the list there, verse 6, well, actually, verse 5, we're adopted, we're identified, verse 4, with him. We're adopted, verse 6, we're accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're blessed, verse 8, he's abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He hasn't left anything out. 
He's not making you today strive to get. He's giving it to you up front. Okay? You go in for that job interview, and they, and they say, you, here's the benefits of the job. And by the way, they start day one now. Used to you had to wait 30 days or 60 days. Today they can't do that because they've got to keep you. So that starts day one. The day that you trusted Christ, he dumps all this benefit on you, spiritual blessings, so now you go live life and you do not to gain because you've gotten already, but you do because you got. He Look at what he gave you. He just blessed you. That word blessed, speak well of. That's what he's talking about. He speaks well of you. Why? Because you're in his son and he gives you all of this. And the adversary sees that and the adversary says, you know what? I can never take him out of that. I can never, he can never remove you from the seal that the Father places on you. But he can cause you to move away from it. He can cause you, that verse in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, that is the serpent beguiled Eve. He's going to come after you from the simplicity that's in Christ. Corrupt your mind, your thinking. He says, I can get them. And in Ephesians 6, we see that. And again, there's a great thing here. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Notice that we are to stand. And the armor he, he, he depicts there is all forward-facing. You ever see those little uh, clay, uh, mine things that they have in the military? And it says, face towards the enemy. Duh. You wonder why they got to put that. A military guy ought to know, but no. Nope, why? Because in the moment of battle, you don't think clear. You, you have to be reminded. In the moment of great adversary, great controversy, you got to figure, oh, I got this right, point it the other way, you know. But the armor is all forward facing because you're to what? You're to stand. And you are to withstand. Think about this the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. He, he has an attack, he's got strategies to attack. He's got strategies to place pressure on the believer that's going to cause them to withstand, to be removed. The only reason why Paul would have to say that you'll be able to withstand an evil day is because you ten, there's a tendency, what, to not stand when the pressure comes. That is The idea of withstanding there is something comes along and tries to push you off of what you're standing on, who you're standing on. Push away. Come in and, and come in and cause you to not stand in verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Think about that. Strong in the Lord, that's chapter 1, verse 3 to 14, 15, 22. The whole, that's that whole first section there of, of Ephesians. In the power of his might. There's chapter 1, 15 to 23, the program, the whole of it there. Stand in who we are. We are to stand in who God has made us in Christ. We're to take those provisions, his identity, his grace, that free gift that he's given to us, and we're to stand in it. 
And he has provided for us completely and he totally equipped us in his son. He gave his son for us. He died for our sins. He took over. He took, he paid for, he took out of the way our second death. And then God gave us his life, his identity. And he says, stand there. And we're, all, we're to bring all of that into the reality of our thinking in our lives. And we're to allow him to be exclusive in that thinking. And the adversary raises up and says, are you sure about that? Really? How are you doing with that? And he, the adversary comes along and he says, I, I'm going to push on you. I'm going to put some pressure on you. And I'm going to try to push you off of who you are in Christ. Who do you trust? You trust God's word or do you trust human viewpoint? Do you trust God's word or do you look at the circumstances and go, that's what's real? You understand that isn't real because it can do what? It can change. God's word never changes. It's the same today, forever. <laughs> it's always been. That changes. And the adversary comes in and he's got some some wiles, the wiles of the devil. By the way, the purpose of the armor, which we'll see in a few weeks here, is to equip you to be able to stand against the tricks, the wiles. The, the issue there of wiles is like Wiley Coyote. Now, you young people have no idea who that is. You can YouTube it, but he always gets smacked by the Roadrunner, all right? But see, what it, but he's always scheming, isn't he? He's always pushing. He's always moving. It's a trick. It's a strategy intended to snare and to deceive you and to move you away. Look, look at chapter 4 of Ephesians. Ephesians 4. He, he, he's looking to come and to steal something from you in order to gain an advantage over you. That's what a while is. That's what a trick is. Beguilement. Ephesians 4 Verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Think about that. There's a lot of doctrine in the scripture. We call it Bible doctrine. Paul says you need to focus in on sound doctrine. Sound, healthy, life-giving doctrine. Bible doctrine, Noah and the ark. Early ministry of Christ, wonderful things, don't get me wrong, but that's Bible doctrine. You need the sound doctrine. By the slight of men, notice that, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. To the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2, he says, we're not to be ignorant of the adversary's devices. Pay attention to what's going on. So you've got some strategies here. He's got some tactics that he's coming up. Again, folks, he cannot get you out of who you are in Christ. He can't beat that out of you, beat that off of you, none of that. But what he can do is come up here and he can try to pressure you, push you, so you leave it. You don't rest in it. You don't relax in it. You don't think about it. You don't come in and say, that's who I am and then we're going to work this out. Now, the adversary doesn't openly attack. Are you still in Ephesians 4? There's a word in that verse that you've got to pay attention to. 
The adversary doesn't openly attack because he's been defeated. Calvary, Colossians 2, he's been defeated. So what does he do? He comes in and he begins to deceive. See that issue there about in the middle of verse 14? By the slight of who? Men. And cunning craftiness. We'll get over and we'll see in 2 Corinthians 11 where he's got ministers of righteousness. He's got guys that, he's got men that are caught up in the vain religious system that he uses to come in and to function. He's, but you have to remember, Lucifer, he's a created cherub. He's not a god. He's an angelic being. He can't be everywhere, but he's got a, he's got a downline, if you will. <laughs> he's got workers. He's got ministers that are designed is to come in and just, they don't have to wreck your world. They just got to get you to question his word. And he'll do that. Think about the word devil, the name devil. That's the Greek moved right over into English, that diablos. Dia, dia is a through, to go through something. Bowls is to throw. What is he doing? The idea is bowling. When you bowl, what are you doing? You're throwing a ball, a ball down the aisle, but you're throwing it through something, aren't you? You're, now, when I bowl, I put the bumpers in. Because I like to win. I hate losing. Okay? So, but that's the idea here. The idea is that the devil is trying to throw something in between you and who you are in Christ. And when you catch that idea, and when you begin to understand that, what happens then is you go, I see that. Now, it doesn't mean every time you, you have victory, but it ha- helps you understand and grow. Okay, Now, that word while is used three times in the Bible. Ephesians 6, and then two other times back in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, there's some, there's some things that we have to look at. Come back, come over with me to 1 Corinthians 10, just on our way. Because there's a lot of things that happen in the Scripture that are teaching moments And Paul makes reference to them and uses them. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now all these things, and these are the things that happened to Israel in the wilderness, the first 10 verses there, unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition. To admonish someone is to warn them that their current activity is going to lead them to harm. Corinthians, if you keep living in the flesh and, tr- and fulfilling the lust of that flesh, you're, it's going to end not good for you. Come out of it. 1 Corinthians 2, or 10, 11. Okay? So what did Paul do? He reached back in Israel's history, literally. He, he pulls out of Exodus, out of Numbers, all of this stuff that happened to Israel, and he says, you guys are doing the same thing. So there's a what? A parallel here. So in the Old Testament, we see the other two times where that word while is used. And both, come back with me to Joshua 9 and Numbers 25. And on your way, stop there at Romans 15, just because I gave it to you and you need to read it. Romans 15 and verse 4. So the old, the folks, sometimes people got weird ideas about the scripture that God just wrote a bunch of stuff to fill up pages so he could say he had a book. 
That is not the case. Every word on every page and every scripture is there for a reason. It's there for our admonition. It's there for our learning. Now, we rightly divide them out so we don't try to do something that isn't ours. Take Israel and do. So we have a, 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 a prescribed manner of study. And we're careful with that. But we don't want to be so careful that we miss some glorious truths over here that we can come over and say, hey, look at that, look at this. Because you know why? Because our apostle does it. And he actually does it quite a bit. Romans 15, 4 is a verse you always got to remember. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our instruction and heed and we need to follow. No, it's written for our what? Learning. Why? That we through, the script, uh, through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. What do we do? We look at this stuff in the Old Testament and we go, okay, look, I'm in a similar situation. How did David do this? How did Israel? Because what is, what's happening is we're following the word of God. We follow, you follow that? Okay. So when we go back here to Joshua and we go back to Numbers, Numbers 9 and Joshua 25, here's where these are. We'll see how the adversary attacked Israel. That's my point, okay? That's the whole of it. Ready? Okay? Woo-hoo, big stuff here. We'll see, we'll get the picture of how the adversary sought to defeat Israel, God's people. The, God had a purpose for Israel. He had a plan for Israel. They are his people And the adversary looks at them, studies them out, and says, you know what? I can get them to not be God's people. I can cause them to not be useful of God. Watch me do it. Joshua 9. Now, we're going to come right back to Joshua 9, so you can stick something in here. But just see the the word while, the wily coyote here. 9.3, just start there. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to A, now that's chapter 6, 7, and 8, okay? They did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and off they go. They're looking, verse 6, the end of that verse, now therefore make ye a league with us. But notice, they come how? Wily. Tricksters. What are they after for Joshua and the guys to do? Make a league with them. Okay? Now, Joshua knows the word of God has told them, Exodus 34, you don't make a league with these people. You kill them. You destroy them. You lay waste to them. You leave nothing there. And yet, what do these guys do? They come in looking all poor. We're going to go back through it here in just a minute. And they say, hey, would you make a league with us? Now watch verse 14, because here's the deal. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them. Look at what happened. The first attack by the adversary is to have you look at the circumstances and not seek the counsel of God's word. What was God's word? Don't do it. What did they do? Oh, look at our situation. We're going to see this funny. Oh, we've been going. Look at this old moldy bread. When we started, it was hot. (laughs) And you know what happens? 
your heartstrings get tugged a little bit and you feel for them. But what should they have said? Here's a new piece of bread. Get out of here. They didn't, okay? Now, that's attack number one. We'll come back to that here in just a minute. Look at Joshua 25. Joshua, I'm, I'm sorry, Numbers 25. Numbers 25. Here's second attack. Joshua, the leader there, he should have said no. They didn't seek the counsel of the word. They went on human viewpoint. So the attack there is don't go by God's word, go by human viewpoint. Go by the circumstances. And folks, if you forsake God's word, what else then are you going to go based on but your viewpoint, your opinion? Are you always right? Well, if you have a wife, you know real quick the answer to that. Just do. If you have a husband, you know the answer to that real quick. You just do. No, it's, what are you doing here? If, you don't, if you're not going to give voice to what God's word says, then the only place that you can go to is your own viewpoint, and that's trouble. So the first strategy of the adversary is to let's not do what God says. Let's abandon what God says, and let's go over here, and you look at the situation, and you make the decision. You follow that? Numbers 25. Verse 16. Now, we're going to spend all of our time next week in Numbers 25, mostly. But look at verse 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them. For they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the manner of Peor and in the manner of Kozbin, and off you go. And what you have in here is you have Balaam, Balak, and Baal, the big bad boy three. The unholy trinity. And what did Balaam do? Balak came, comes and says, I need you to curse Israel. Balak says, I can't. I'm sorry, Balaam says, I can't. Balaam says, I'll pay you. He goes, I'll take your pay. I'm a hireling now. But I still can't. And every time Balaam opened his mouth, what did God do? Bless him. <laughs> okay. And Balak's getting mad. He's like, wait a minute, dude. I paid you good money. And, you, and he goes, okay. Balaam sits there and says, now listen, this is how you get God to curse Israel. And you know what they introduced? Baal worship, vain religious system. Now, the only religion that God ever gave was to Israel. James, it's called the pure religion. But what did Baal do? What did the adversary do? He comes in and he tweaks that religion. And he, call, and he makes it into a vain religious system. The Lord tells the, the Pharisees, in vain you do worship me. Empty, worthless, useless. So the second attack is to attack the message that God gave. What is the message that God gave to Israel? You're my people, you're, it, you're this, you're that. And he walks them right through. And what did the adversary do? Yeah, but here's a little better way to do it. And he made it powerless. He made it purpose, purple. Blah, blah. He made it a vain, empty. Now go back to Joshua 9, because I want to spend the rest of the time just looking with you here at Joshua 9, because it's very fascinating. Now, again, we'll do Numbers 25 next week. You go read Numbers there. Balaam, Balak, and Baal, be familiar with it, and that'll be a great help. But I want you to just see Joshua 9, because it's very interesting. By the way, there are tremendous parallels between Joshua 
and the book of Ephesians. When you begin to kind of lay these out and you think about them and study them. Joshua 9, verse number 1. And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side Jordan in the hills and in the valleys and in all the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Anytime you see the I-T-E on the end of it, it ain't good people. Okay? Those are the outlaws. Heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. So what do we have? We have all the Gentile kings. They're going to come together, and they're going to fight. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, so they have heard something. And what they heard was chapter 6, 7, and 8. What did they do to Jericho? Jericho fell quickly. Just walked around, pots and pans, noisemakers, candles, boom, done. Wall came tumbling down. But in chapter 7 and 8 with the city of A, that little more going on here. They heard something. So when they heard that, verse 4, they did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. So these guys get together. They have a meeting and they say, listen, we cannot defeat Israel and Joshua toe-to-toe, mano-to-mano. So we got to trick them. We got to play a little deception on them here. And we've got to trick these guys to get them. So come back to chapter 8 and watch this. By the way, first of all, if you look down, uh, I'm sorry, in chapter 9 there, look at verse 22. And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherewith have ye beguiled us, saying? See that? There's a, the trick worked. The wily the worked. But in chapter 8, come back to chapter 8, you see why they said such a thing. And you see a connection here, Joshua 8. So Jericho, chapter 6, falls quickly. They go up against the city of A in chapter 7, and Israel loses. I mean, and they lose bad. And they lose bad because there's sin in the camp. Achan and all of that is there, okay? And you can read it. We don't have the time, but you can go. They fix that. They correct that. Now it's time to go up against the city of A again. Verse 1, 8, 1. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with thee, and arise, and go up to A. See, I have given into thy hand the king of A, and his people, and his city, and his land. And thou shalt do to A, and her king, as thou didst unto Jericho, and her king. Only the spoil thereof, and the cattle thereof, shall ye take for a prey unto yourselves. Lay thee an ambush for the city behind it. So the tactic is laid now. The Lord looks at Joshua and says, okay, go. It's time to fight. But you're not going to go like we did before. By, by the way, these pictures, as in the, in, in, in the minor prophets, he'll say, as in the day of battle. This is what he's talking about. As in the valley of decision. This is the stuff he's talking about. As you see this dress rehearsal, it's what's coming future. So every kingdom Every city, every Gentile nation that they go up against in the land, they go in with the Lord as their banner and just pound them down. Why? Because it's their land. 
But watch what happens. Here's the plan. So Joshua, verse 3, what, by the way, what's the plan the end of verse 2? You're going to lay an ambush. So Joshua arose and all the people of war to go up against A, and Joshua chose out of 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach unto the city, and it shall come to pass when they came out against us, as at the first, so that first battle, that we will flee before them, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they flee before us as, it, as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be, when ye have taken the city, that ye shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord shall ye do. See, I have commanded you." So what's the deal? What's the strategy? Come in. We're going to put the SEAL teams in ambush. We're going to march on the city. We're going to look weak. We're going to look, we're going to look defeated. Why? Because they already think we are. They just beat us to a pulp over here. So we're going to do that. And when they see us, we're going to run. And when they come out of the city, the SEAL teams are going to pounce. An ambush. Trickery. Wily coyote, nail them. And what happened? Well, that's what happened. Verse 21. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned again and slew the men of A. It worked. By the way, kind of think about 1 Corinthians 2. Hold on to here. Look over here. So many, so, so many by the ways. 1 Corinthians 2, just notice a kind of a parallel here quickly, 1 Corinthians 2, hold on to Joshua, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, and again, perfect there is the issue of maturity, it's not sinlessness, it's perfect, it's the issue of maturity and growing, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the, wisdom, the princes of this world that come to naught, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. What was hidden back there with Joshua? That ambush group was hidden. Which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What do the princes of this world not know about? The ambush. They don't know about it. Come back to Joshua there. What did the adversary do? He enters into Judas, goes down there, starts the ball rolling, kills the son, has the son killed, has, him, has what appears to him, him dragged down into death, has him what appears to be weak and defeated. And then the angels look at the ladies and said, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. That very act of, cow, of the act, activity that was his very undoing that destroyed the adversary was that issue of Calvary. And it was a hidden thing, the hidden wisdom. It was an ambush. The true meaning of it not revealed yet. 
Anyway, back to the story, Joshua 8. The ambush worked. So when you come to chapter 9, what do these guys know? We can't beat these guys. Look at them. One, look at what they just did militarily, overwhelming, but then look at what they just did to the city of A. They duped them. They used a little trickery. They used a little strategy. It's just not, you, you guys, how did the, the Minutemen of the 1700s beat the Big Red Army? Not toe-to-toe. But in what? Little, little guerrilla warfare. That's what I was trying to think of. Gorilla, that's what they did. So what do these guys say? We got to do the same thing. Let's do, this. Let's do that. They did work, verse 4, 9, 4, they did work wily. Now watch these guys. And went and made as if they had been ambassadors. Who are these guys? They're not ambassadors. They're kings. They're the leaders. And took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and and clotted upon their feet and old garments upon them. And all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. Look at what they're portraying themselves to be. We've been on the road a long time, Josh. Come on, man. You know, (laughs) Motel 6, the light's on for you. It's on. What's going on here? Why can't you help us? And they went to Joshua under the camp at Gilgal. Now, Gilgal is where Israel camps at, okay? And said unto him and to the men of Israel, We become from a far country. Now therefore therefore make ye a league with us. Look, man, they're playing the part here of destitute, of, oh, woe is us. Don't beat us. Don't defeat us. Come on, Josh. Look at the circumstance here. Look at us. We got old shoes on. We got old clothes on. We've got moldy bread. We Come on. By the way, verse 15, Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were there what? Wait a second. They said, we come from a far country. Ooh, verse 9, and they said, from a very far country thy servants are come because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did to Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites and to the kings that were beyond Jordan, to Shion, king of Hezbon and Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth, Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This is our bread we took, this our bread we took hot for our provision out of our houses on the day when we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which were filled with were new, and behold, they be rent, and they these are garments, and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. Look at our situation. Look at our circumstance. They duped them so much so. Look at the next verse, and the men took of their 
victuals and ask not counsel. You know what these guys did? They sold the story so good that the leaders of Israel and Joshua sat down and ate moldy bread with them. That's how much they were duped, were tricked. What was the problem? Verse 14, they didn't go after the word of God, did they? They let their eyes do their deciding. Here's the adversary. He knows the deal. He knows that land belongs to Israel. He knows why Joshua is winning the battles. And what does he do? He uses these guys to come along and say, yeah, but just look at the circumstance. Look at all that we've been telling you. Look at us. Let your eyes decide who we are. Listen to our story. Let it validate everything. Let it be validated by all this stuff around us. Look at us. And what did Joshua and the guys do? They left God's word. They made a league with them. And that's the tragedy. And when you leave God's word, you end up with absolutely no spiritual discernment to then be able to deal with the challenges of life. It's gone from you. After the fact, they learn that they're really neighbors. Now Joshua, he could have done a couple things, but he didn't. He honors the league with them. Down in verse 22, And Joshua called for them, and he spake unto them, saying, Wherefore have ye beguiled us? saying, We are very far from you when ye dwell among us. Now therefore ye are cursed, and there shall none of you be freed from being bondmen and hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainty, it was certainly told thy servants how that the Lord thy God commanded this servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you, Therefore, we were sore afraid of our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in thine hand, as it seemeth good and right unto thee to do unto us do. And so he did unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel that they, were, they slew them not. These guys later on become thorns in the side of Israel. They become troublemakers. And when Joshua didn't say no, he ratified it out, what does he do? He trusted his own instinct. He trusted his own eyes. And he didn't trust the word of God. Come over to Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. You see, folks, when, what the adversary is wanting you to do is not take the counsel of the Word of God. When things come up in life, when you suffer in life, you suffer basically in three general areas. One, you live in a sin-cursed creation, Romans 8. Bad things happen. My car won't start. You know why? Hopefully, <laughs> it's just the battery. Wore out. It's done. The second way 
which is where we usually always suffer from, is we make bad decisions in life. You reap what you sow, Galatians 6. Thirdly, the where you ought to be is when you live godly, you're going to suffer. When you understand those three general issues, general areas, when stuff comes up in life, you know where you can put them? In those three areas. And you can deal with them in those areas. Because in Romans 8, he tells you how to deal with them. In Romans and Galatians 6, he tells you how to deal with it. And in Timothy, he tells you how to live that. By the way, in Romans 8, you learn that in all these things you are more than conquer. You learn that life is not your enemy. Even though you are suffering, life is not your enemy. Your life is there to do something else. You got Proverbs 3 now, right? All right. Proverbs 3, look at verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's where it all starts. Your heart. That mentality of your soul, the thinking, the, the emotion, the will of your heart. With the heart, man believes under righteousness. Thy word have I hid in my heart. You're going to trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. That's what Joshua and the boys did. That's what a majority of us do. We tend to lean on our own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord. Verse 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. How do I acknowledge him? By acknowledging his word. What does he say to me today in the age of grace? And what will happen? And he shall direct thy paths. How does God work today? He works through his word in the inner man, in the believer to go and to do. He doesn't work on the outside of you. He works on the inside of you. Philippians 2 and other passages. So when we come back here and we think about attack number one, what's the adversary doing? Get you off the Word of God. Get you away from. His strategy is to overwhelm you. To push you away from resting and depending on who you are in Christ by causing you to not trust His Word. The great illustration is Genesis 3. When he asked Eve, Yea, hath God said. There it is. Tactic number one. Tactic number one leads us into then tactic number two, which is going to be leave the message. The only way to maintain who you are in Christ, folks, is to trust his word and not abandon it. Trust it. Here's who I am. The problem with Joshua is he took his eye off the word. They had it. They had Exodus 34. You read there in chapter 8 where they write out the law for the, for the king. They, he had it. He just didn't go to it. He didn't consider it. Rather, he bought into the woe is me plea of the circumstance. What are we to do? We're to trust in the Lord with all our heart, and we're to lean not on under our own understanding, and we're to allow his word to direct our paths. Folks, whatever you depend on is what's going to control you all the time. 
you depend on you, you lose. You depend on his word, you win every time. Even when you're not in agreement with it, it's still right, it still wins. So that's tactic number one. Get in there, mess with that word, and you're thinking. He's, he's not worried about it. He's worried about you because he's trying to push you off of who you are in Christ. Next week, we'll get Numbers 25. We'll go see Balaam, Balak, and Baal and the donkey that spoke and all that good stuff, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, for the instructions that we have here in it concerning the adversary, concerning his attack, concerning his methods. And Lord, I just pray that we would not lean into our own understanding, but that we would just trust your word and trust you in everything that we say and do. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to